I think all of us were reading those comments for like the whole next week and just feeling so humbled and gratified because as you say, in addition to, you know, saying go for it levels, excited to invest, you're getting snippets of the effect that we've had on people's lives and the effect that they hope that levels will have on the lives of their friends and family and others. It was hugely emotional. I remember Josh Clemente, one of our founders, just talking about how he literally spent hours reading those comments, you know, for days after it, because they really served to focus in on the mission that we all have here. You know, when you're at a startup, you're working hard. You're doing a lot of work heads down. If you are able to have a moment where you really hear from a member and it can help focus your direction, it's a real gift. And what we had in those comments and through this crowd fund was that and just concentrated to a pretty unimaginable degree. I mean, I think many of us are to this day doing our work with those investors and those comments in mind. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. When it comes to startups, a couple things are true. One, you never know how it's gonna work out. Two, if you keep going, you're very likely going to have to raise money. Well, in the case of Levels, we've raised a few different rounds. In October of 2020, we raised our seed round. And in September of 2021, we started our Series A process. That being a larger round at a higher valuation where we're working with institutional investors, those are people like venture capitalists who do it for a living, we raised another round of capital. But when we went to go do our Series A, we thought, hey, why don't we try this other thing called equity crowdfunding where we can open up some of the allocation, some of the capital that we're willing to accept and open that up to people in our community. Those being Levels members, people who've been along this journey with us and see what happens. Well, much to our surprise and in a very humbling way, the community showed up. People came and they supported in troves and it was something that was totally unexpected to us. We didn't expect to have as much support as we did. More than 1,400 people said, hey, we want to invest some money, checks as low as $100. And it was amazing to have that support from the community. It was very much an effort that we all contributed to as a team to put together this campaign. And we thought it was gonna take weeks to close. It ended up taking 77 minutes to get the first allocation filled out. And so Zach Henderson, head of legal, he ran point on most of the process, all the due diligence that was required to not only run an institutional round, a regular, fundraise process, but also the crowdfunding component simultaneously. Something that most companies haven't done together out in time. It was a bit of an interesting experiment, which we love to do, but we learned lots in the process. So Zach and I sat down and we went through the story, some of the feelings that we had internally and some of the process that came into play when we did this equity crowdfund. It was really fun to retell the story, to think through some of the things and even get tactical. What are some of the ways that young companies or people that are thinking about raising money, what can they do moving forward? Should they do equity crowdfunding? Should they go the institutional investor route? Should they do both? Anyway, there are a lot of things that we're throwing back and forth, and it's always important to remember, this is not investment advice. This is us retelling our story of levels. So no need to wait. Here's a conversation with Zach. Zach. 
Okay, we should rewind all the way back to some time that feels like it was 10 years ago, but it was probably six months ago. It was some time ago. We went through an interesting process for raising our Series A, which was equity crowdfunding, and you were running point on basically the whole thing. So I thought it would be good to go into the narrative and recap what exactly happened, how it felt. And um, I think it was pretty emotional for all of us to see the way that it unfolded, knowing that it didn't really end up the way that we thought it would. Yeah, it was uh, both an incredible experience and definitely a more challenging one than we anticipated. You know, I think initially we had the thought that the crowdfunding component of our Series A would be something that we would probably be able to wrap up in a matter of weeks. And just the way everything plays out and the way the rules work and some of the requirements that we had to uh, adhere to meant that the crowdfunding actually ran for something like three months from start to finish. So it was it was a long ride both for us and for our members who invested. But we ultimately did end up exactly where we wanted, which is we were able to have uh, over a thousand of our uh, members actually invest directly in levels, which was pretty great. So let's rewind all the way to, gosh, was it August? August of 2021 when we said we decided to start the process. I think it was around there. We were starting the process. August, September, we thought, hey, let's, we're going to raise a Series A. That's around the time when we made this decision. And it would have been September, I believe, that we said, why don't we do this equity crowdfunding component? Because we've got a super engaged community. Let's open up some allocation to them as opposed to traditional institutional investors, which we've got a great suite of them and they're very supportive. But we wanted to do it from the community support perspective. And so then it unfolded into this massive thing. Is that... Was it September now? I'm trying to yeah, remember. I think September is where, it, is where it kicked off. I joined the company, I think, August 9th. And it was within a week or two that I was ramping up to help us get the Series A uh, going. So yeah, I think it was September that we made the firm decision that we were going to make crowdfunding a part of our Series A. And, and the ball basically got rolling from that point forward. That's hilarious. I, I totally forget the timeline because... I mean, I forget that you even started in August. It feels like you started nine years ago, but um, let's go through that. So we we opened it up. Let's just call it September 1. We, we started this process. Let's call it September 1. Um, we opened a process with institutional investors to raise the Series A. We opened up this idea of equity crowdfunding. Let's walk through like what exactly that felt like as far as like putting together the materials, engaging the community, how we went about it. And then we hit like the big green button, like that hit send to the community that said like, Hey, we're doing this thing. Let's get maybe the narrative behind once you were involved, like so two weeks in, right. You're sort of like two weeks in, you're ramping up with onboarding with like there's levels, which normally for the first four weeks, we don't really do work. But right. in the first two weeks, it's kind of like, Hey Zach, all the stuff that we haven't done pertaining to legal Here's a bunch of stuff that's like high priority. By the way, there's this other ancillary thing like going on on the side in parallel, equity crowdfunding, like you want to own that too. Um, it was sort of a bunch of stuff dumped on you, but let's go through this whole narrative of how it all happened. Yeah, uh, it was it was an amazing experience. It was a whole lot. I mean, I knew that joining levels would be the ultimate drinking out of the fire hose because we move quickly, we do a lot, and we're really committed to being above board. And that means paying attention to the legal and regulatory side of the house uh, fairly early on as a company. So we we got our Series A start at the beginning of September. 
And, and Ben, as you said, we, we already had this stable of really interested investment from more traditional investors. And by traditional, we mean angel investors, venture, venture capital firms, et cetera. So much interest, in fact, that we actually, for the whole duration of our Series A, ran a pretty deep wait list of people who wanted to invest. Uh, so we didn't do the crowdfunding component as a means of gap filling, which is a fairly common use to run a crowdfund. We really took the mindset that, as you said, we wanted our community to have the opportunity to be engaged in this process. Uh, you know, as a company, we uh, we probably rely upon our traditional investors more than others uh, for advice, for potential leads on hires, all of that kind of stuff. We had the idea that our, our members would probably be able to uh, offer us similar leads on you know potential hires and just uh, keeping their interest high in the company was valuable. So we got these processes more or less started at the same time. And uh, what that basically involved was working with outside counsel to do our standard uh, Regulation D fundraise, but also getting the process started on uh, Regulation CF, which is an entirely different kind of way to raise money that actually uh, the rules around that fairly recently changed. And that's what actually opened us up to being able to bring our members in. The, the interesting thing, though, is because this shift in the crowdfunding regulations were fairly new, we really did trailblaze. There aren't too many companies that did this thing where in addition to doing a traditional fundraise, they invited their members to do the raise as well. And that's what led to some of the uh, distended timeline. We really were uh, one of the first companies doing this really cool thing. The approach is usually sort of a binary outlook where it's like, we're going right. to do crowdfunding or we're going to do institutional. Assume that a company's passed like friends and family round, um, seed round. For a series A, it's very clearly in most cases going to be institutional money coming in. And so we had this blended approach, which was really interesting. And maybe let's paint the picture to, um, to give context for what it means to have investors because opening up crowdfunding it was about the idea of having people involved. Like that's what you mentioned was involved. So typically in a friends and family round, maybe a seed round, the checks are going to still hit a certain size, but you might take checks. I mean, let's disregard friends and family round. Let's say for a seed round, you might ch take checks as small as, as like 10,000 bucks. That's still like a huge amount of liquidity for anyone to have if you're not typically an institutional investor. As you get into series A, there's usually a minimum check size, which might be like a hundred grand. It depends on like what you're raising at what valuation, right? Like what, what do you actually want as far as your cap goes? But there's going to be a minimum check size. And what we said is, is well, like what if you can invest a hundred bucks in levels? Like, would you do that? And so by changing the access to being able to be involved, like to feel really part of a company was what the game changer was. And so that's what would happen with the crowdfunding component where it's like, Hey, what was it? I can't remember the max. What, what did we say the max was that you could do? There was a minimum of hundred and max was 10 or 20. Yeah. I think we'd set the max at 25, uh, a bit of a spoiler, but the crowdfund was actually so successful that in order to allow everyone who wanted to invest into the round, we ultimately kept pushing that max lower and lower to fit more people in. Because it turns out we had a whole lot of people who wanted to invest at that $25,000 amount. But if we let everybody who invested the max do so, then a bunch of people would have been left out. So I think the actual max 
uh, ended up being pushed down to something like thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars. So that was roughly our range, uh, as little as a hundred dollars, and and up to something like thirteen thousand dollars, we're able to invest in the crowdfund. Yeah, because the equity crowdfunding component can only be a total percentage of your raise. It's a firm cap, actually, at oh, okay. five. So this is one of the things that's fairly new. Um, the SEC has adjusted the cap. So it's a $5 million hard cap. That's the amount of money that you can raise every year under a regulation crowdfunding raise. I'll just jump in and say that led to one of the probably most emotional and exciting parts of the of the raise bed. I, you know, I think I think you you remember we were we were all there on threads, which is our main communication platform we were using. Uh, and we we open up this round and we start off with a two million dollar cap. Our thinking was we don't want to do the five million dollar cap because if only a million and a half dollars worth of investment come in, we don't want to have all of this extra bandwidth. And um, you know, how will how will our institutional investors view that? How will company morale be if we raise this round and we don't fill it? Well, we were completely wrong about that because within something like an hour, we'd hit the $2 million artificial cap that we'd set. We raised the cap to, to the actual regulatory max of $5 million, and that filled up within a matter of hours in terms of reserved investment. So uh, short story there, but the hard cap was $5 million, and it didn't take us long before we had uh, investment reservations for that total amount. Let's rewind to sort of this process to get to that point because that was pretty cool. We we decided to undertake this thing, right? We've got we're raising our Series A. We decide to say, hey, let's do this equity crowdfunding component. We all contributed and aggregated these materials because there's a certain due diligence process, like for our data room, the nerdy way of saying it, like a bunch of materials that tells people about what your company does and gives some transparency into performance. That being like. What is your revenue? What are your, what's your burn? Giving people the uh, information they need to make a conscious decision about whether or not they want to participate in a round, right? So we did this, like this stuff. We chose images, we wrote copy, we did all these things and it goes on some page. We worked with WeFunder. Um, we did it through WeFunder. So people would get this uh, page. They would see, see this through an email that goes out and they say, cool, I'm in, right? So we, we did this. It takes, let's say a couple of weeks. You're working with the team. Fast forward to us hitting the email and that's where it was right. really interesting is that like we hit send, hey, do you want to participate? And it was just sort of like, I can't remember, what did you say? It was 77 minutes? I think that's right. It was 77 minutes until the the cap that we'd set was completely full and we had to reach out to WeFunder, the platform that we were using to facilitate all of this. And we had to say, hey, can you please go ahead and bump the maximum from 2 million to 5 million? We're already full. And they did so. And it didn't take long uh, after that before even the $5 million cap was hit. And in fact, we uh, we had uh, reservations for investment up to like the $6.5 million mark that we ultimately pared down when we closed the round. That's that process we discussed of having to lower the cap to fit everybody in. But we had far more uh, interest in investment than we were even able to facilitate under the rules. And the number of people was sort of the bonkers part because... Two and a half million fills up pretty quickly if checks are 25. Just does. But we have, I can't remember the exact amount. It's somewhere around 11, 1139. There's some, let's just call it loosely. Do you remember off the top of your head? I would have to go and see the exact numbers, but I think all told when it, when it finally wrapped up, I think we were closer to 1400. 
Uh, so wild, pretty incredible number of, you know, uh, individual investors who, again, you know, the, the thing that I love about this so much and I, that I think hit us all in the gut, right? It is one thing and still a wonderful thing to have institutional investors believe in your company so much that they're saying, hey, we have investment dollars and we're going to put them with you levels because we believe in your mission and we believe that you can be a commercial success. That's wonderful. But that is nowhere near how it feels to have one of your own members who have used your product. They've used it and they reach out and say, yeah, you know, I've used this. It affected me so much that I'm going to actually invest in your growth because after me using it, I continue to believe in you. And that's what we had something like 1400 times over. I mean, it's hard to talk about it without almost getting emotional. It's it's really remarkable. It's so wild because those are evangelists. Like these are people, and we have the, the cool thing is like this group of community investors, they come on our Friday forum pretty consistently. We invite them as special guests. We do this with vendors and partners and people, but they come and we don't know, like, sure, you can look at paperwork, but no one no one knows and no one cares whether it's a $100 check or a $10,000 check. But exactly. people, the, the identity that has been formed is that I'm an investor in levels, which is an amazing thing. And people say, like, here's how it's made a difference in my life. So just that perspective where somebody feels like they are they are a, a part of our journey and they're so invested in trying to spread this mission that we're on this education about metabolic health and why it matters and that you can do something about it like it's it is just the coolest feeling when you meet these these community investors and some of the things that i think that was one of the most rewarding things is we bump up the cap we do all these things and there was when people could when people invested i believe i believe it was like during the investment process like add a note. It was something like that. Mechanically, like the UI is something like that. Like, do you want to add a comment? And there were these like lengthy paragraphs that said why you people invested and just going through these comments that had an emotional component too, where you're just like, wow, this is, this is impacting people in ways that you can't really forecast. Those are real stories that are happening. Absolutely. I, I think all of us were reading those comments for like the whole next week and just uh, feeling so uh, humbled and gratified because as you say, you know, in addition to, you know, saying go for it levels, excited to invest, you're, you're getting snippets of the, the, the effect that we've had on people's lives and, and the effect that they hope that levels will have on the lives of their friends and family and others. It was, it was hugely emotional. I remember uh, I think Josh Clemente, uh, one of our founders, just talking about how he literally spent hours reading those comments, you know, for days after it, because they really served to focus in on the, the, the mission that we all have here. You know, when you're at a startup, you're, you're working hard. You're doing a lot of work heads down. And uh, if you are able to have a moment where you really hear from a member and it, it can help focus your direction. It's a real gift. And what we had in those comments and through this crowd fund was that and just concentrated to a, a pretty unimaginable degree. I mean, I think, I think many of us are to this day uh, doing our work with those investors and those comments in mind. Yeah, it's, it is such a cool thing to be a part of. What, let's go through. So we've sort of walked into this narrative of, 
how it felt. Like it was this, it was this really interesting process where we didn't know what would happen. We we're surprised as far as the performance went and you, you're very much humbled by it because you're caught off guard where you go, wow, like you're humbled by it, but there's also a ton of pressure to perform because like, oh my gosh, like this many people have eyeballs on what we're doing. It really matters. You're like, this really, really matters. We went through that narrative. Let's go into the, the post process because it's, it's easy to, from an optics perspective, external optics is like, hey, it's done. Like, ta-da, like celebrate. But there was like the amount of work. It feels like, from what I observed, it feels like there was more work for you post and all the DD and wrapping up the data room then there was like all the work that we put into it to start. It, f- it felt like you were always sort of bouncing between what we were trying to do from an institutional perspective and then right. from the like CF perspective. Yeah. You know, Ben, it's a great point. And the, the places where the work showed up were a bit surprising. And, and a, a lot of this does come down to what we did was a little bit trailblazing. Something you said earlier, uh, both resonates and kind of explains this challenge. And that is most companies that do a a crowdfunding will do it in place of uh, a traditional fundraise, right? And so if you, it's worth thinking through the reasons why many companies use crowdfunding. Perhaps they're in a situation where uh, for whatever reason, they they weren't able to secure the uh, institutional investor funding that they wanted. Maybe the terms weren't great. Maybe they didn't have the option what have you. And so they tend to turn to crowdfunding as a means of sourcing their core investment. And so they do it as a standalone process. And what that means is they only have the one set of regulations to worry about. And that that makes the process fairly straightforward. Uh, But by doing the crowdfunding in conjunction with uh, a more standard raise, that actually meant that it was uh, it was a lot of work for me and our outside counsel to make sure that we dotted all of our I's and crossed all of our T's to make sure that the regulations for the two completely different styles of fundraising played nice. So a lot of the work that I was doing in the middle of the raise and uh, somewhat after had to do with just ensuring that on the back end of things, on the, on the financial side, everything that we needed to do to comply with the rules was done. And so just to give you a little bit of insight into what some of that process looked like, uh, a standard raise involves what are called accredited investors. These are uh, investors that either have a certain amount of money in the bank or have a certain uh, income level. And depending on what kind of raise you do, you have to verify that they're accredited in different ways. Maybe in a simpler context, all you have to do is ask them, hey, do you make this much money? And then they say yes, and you're good to go. But uh, in more complicated raises, you may actually have to get documentation for every single person that invested. And because we did the regulation crowdfunding in the way that we did, we had heightened verification requirements for accreditation. And that was a huge challenge and basically meant that I had to be paying attention to individual investors throughout the whole process in a way that if we'd done these processes separately, I probably wouldn't have had to do. So it was just a lot of that. That's what I mean by dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Lots of work to make sure that all of the details behind the scenes were in place. So if you're doing um, traditional crowdfunding for a product or service, Mm -hmm. let's say through Kickstarter, there's not the same type of DD process because like the DD, the data room is like the page that says you're going to buy like this widget and it will be delivered on this date. And that's sort of like the end of it. And when you commit to that amount, you get charge for the amount once the uh, 
campaign comes to completion. So you invest on day one and it's a 30 day campaign. You get charged on whatever, day 31, day 30. There's no confirmation. You've already committed. You hit the button and like, it's just pending. It's going to get, it's going to go through. When you bring it to equity crowdfunding, people are basically raising their hand and they're saying like, I commit to this thing. But then there was the process of, and this is like the interesting thing about institutional versus crowdfunding versus having a blended approach. When you've got institutional investors, let's, uh, for argument's sake, let's say that you might have five to 10 and even 10 typically is a larger pool of institutional when you're talking about raising like a series A. You usually have a lead in a handful. Right. When you're talking about equity crowdfunding and there's, let's call it 1400, there was a process where... I remember this went on because you were posting yeah. threads about it where it's like you had to reach out to every person and we we're doing it with the entire group, but you saying, uh, please confirm your investment. And then people were like, I thought I already committed, but because of the way equity crowdfunding works, which is the whole point of bringing in the Kickstarter story is like you commit to that Kickstarter campaign. It's done. That's your commitment. You can sort of set it and forget it with this. Right. It was like we had to re-engage all the 1,400 people to say, like, please raise your hand again and now hit the, the button that says, yes, we can accept the money from you. And so that was added complexity to this whole process, which was sort of mind-boggling, but it's necessary to do. Ben, you're completely right. And uh, this is a great small segue into um, if we were to do this again, what are some of the lessons that we learned that might make us adjust our process? Um, Likewise, what are some recommendations that I might make to other sort of heads of finance and CEOs and general counsel who might be thinking about doing something like what we did? Um, what we used is a process called testing the waters. And what that allows us to do is first gauge investment before actually filing the paperwork and collecting the final investments. Um, some of the good reasons to do that are if you're unsure whether or not you're going to have a lot of interest, it's literally a way to test the waters. You can reach out and say, hey, we're considering doing a regulation crowdfunding. We want to see who's interested. And then your members or whoever you reach out to can reserve their place. We did this process. Um, and one of the reasons why we did so is we wanted to go ahead and kick it off. But there's a bunch of additional requirements that we had to do before we could file paperwork. One of those, you talked about a data room and being very transparent. We needed to make sure that we had on file a complete financial audit of the company. This is one of the SEC's, in my view, very good requirements to make sure that non-accredited investors who use regulation crowdfunding have enough information to safely invest. The problem is that process takes a while. So it took us roughly three months to complete this audit, which we did um, in between uh, opening up reservations for investment through testing the waters and confirming them. So uh, if you're listening to this, it may seem obvious to you uh, that, gosh, having a three-month period between saying, hi, I want to invest, and then actually sending us your money, there could be some fall off or some confusion there. And then that's ultimately what we dealt with was uh, something like 1,400 people who had reserved the reservation. But when it came time to actually close the round, some people were very quick about it. 
and went ahead and uh, pushed the button, so to speak, and they were locked in. But we had a lot of people who uh, we did have to do personal outreach to say, hey, you reserved X amount of dollars a few months ago. Um, would you like to go ahead and confirm? Because if you don't, we have this wait list of other people who really still want to invest and we want to give them a chance to. So it was a process of outreach. If we could do that process over, I think my recommendation would be not do the testing the waters process and instead, the day that we announce the raise, have everything ready to go so that when people raise their hand and say they want to invest, they can push the button the very same day. Uh, I think in retrospect, that would have been the, the more ideal process, especially for a company like ours, where we, we, for the most part, already knew that we had interest. We may not have known exactly how much, but we knew that we had enough interest to make the, uh, the crowdfunding uh, a good idea. The auditing part of it is such a there's a dichotomy with it because you're a startup you move fast you you're going to have janky books that is par for the course the irony is that when you need to have this information at your fingertips it's kind of like all the stuff that you bypass for so long in the early days of a startup becomes necessary and it takes that much longer so it's like i think having the awareness if you want to go through any process to know that it's going to take time and depending on what you're doing, if your books are, if your books are like a typical startup where it's sort of like things are a little all over the map, it's all there. It's just harder to find it because it hasn't That's been right. aggregated to a central source. A lot of times Google Sheets is is like the first place where people are managing spreadsheets and they're named V1 is like the name of the sheet. Like you can't even find the documents and you say, oh, you got to ask Billy. Like Billy knows where it is. There's tribal knowledge and it can become pretty hard to unpack. But knowing that like leading into some of these processes, these are things to expect. And and that can be difficult because if you, especially if you need the money, if you're in a point, if you're in a position where your burn is pretty high and you're saying we need this money, it can take a while to actually close. Like we didn't close yeah. until March, I think it was, right? So it took a while knowing that you've got to have some runway of some kind to be able to operate from the time when you kick things off until you're actually like the check is in hand and you can say we're, we officially have our series A close. It takes time. Ben, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think this, this goes to some big picture points of good advice for raising money as a startup in the first place. Uh, it's usually a good idea to raise money a little bit before you need it because there is nothing quite as stressful uh, and nothing that gives away your leverage quite as quickly as needing the raise to go through this or next month or the company is in trouble. So, you know, we were in a very good position when we fundraised. We still had uh, plenty of runway at the time and really our Series A uh, was designed less around just gap filling our books and more around bringing in uh, operators and other people who could be active as investors uh, in the company. But great lesson that even if your outside counsel or whomever says, oh, we can do this fundraising in a month, don't worry about it. Things come up, uh, you will potentially face challenges and you want to make sure you give yourself enough time to do your full fundraise without it putting existential pressure on the rest of the company. So if you're thinking about some of the lessons, like we, we've learned lessons about the process, learned lessons about the value. Some of the things are easier to quantify. Others are easier to qualify things like, like how do you quantify an engaged, like somebody who's really engaged? You can't really quantify that. 
um, you can quantify things like time a lot easier. But if you're recommending like young companies, so companies, because you could do crowdfunding at different stages, right? Like this might be your first, like your first raise as far as official capital goes outside of friends and family. If you're giving advice to young startups, how would you think about it? Like, do you like the blended approach? Would you try to raise a smaller round from institutional and then build up this momentum as far as community goes? Would you go the community route? And again, there's, I don't think there's a right answer. I think it, it's, it's the worst answer being like, it depends. Like, are you building a SaaS product? <laughs> What's the product? What's the nature of like the engagement of community? But if you are thinking of general principles, like where would you point anybody that might be thinking about either doing equity crowdfunding or going for more of an institutional race? Yeah, great question. And I have some pretty core takeaways here. Uh, so let's start with the kind of company that has access to institutional funding. And so they are considering either doing a crowdfund as a supplement or as a replacement for money that they could already get. Uh, I think the best use of crowdfunding, and I don't mean to be biased because we did something like this, but I do think the best use of crowdfunding is as a supplement to your raise and not as a replacement for it if at all possible. Um, I also think that I would recommend doing your, um, and this is different than what we did. Uh, if I could go back, this is the change I would make. I would start and close completely our institutional investor fundraise and then start the crowdfund immediately after. Instead of running the processes concurrently, um, the, the trouble is that while you can make the regulations play nice together, they don't by default. And it creates a lot of extra work uh, for outside counsel, for the company, and it really extends your timeline by doing them together. The smart approach in retrospect would have been for us to run our institutional investor round and the day after we closed it, start the crowdfunding round on exactly the same terms. That will uh, save everyone involved a lot of headache and make the process go smoother. So a company is doing this. They raise at a certain cap for anyone who's not familiar with cap, that being like 10 million, a hundred million, it doesn't really matter. Your market cap, what you're raising at 10 at a hundred, let's just call it that like arbitrary, but you're raising at a hundred million market cap. What you're saying is that you can close the institutional investor round at whatever cap. And then still they're not, you don't have to offer the new, Sorry, you're not, you're, you're, the terms that you're raising on with the institutional, you can offer that to the crowdfunding investors. It's not like they're going to, the price is going to go up for them. Is that, is that what you're saying? In, in, in short, yes, you can. You can adjust uh -huh. the, you can adjust the ultimate valuation um, up by the next amount of money that you raise from your crowdfunded sources. And uh, the, the, the ultimate valuation will basically remain the same. In other words, if you have a valuation of, $100 million and you close that round, then the next day you raise an additional $2 million. Well, at that point, your evaluation, your, your valuation probably is about $102 million because mm -hmm. you put another $2 million into the company in investment. Um, so in short, that's something that you would want to discuss with your outside counsel and get uh, specific to your company legal advice, but just in order to make the regulations work well together and not cause your company a lot of headache, doing these things one after the other is the better move. And, and I would recommend it in that order. I would not start with the crowdfund. I would start with the institutional investor round and then immediately follow it with the crowdfund. Um, and you know, Ben, to answer your 
sort of broader question, you know, can you close one round and then do another round? Our Series A actually comprises uh, three distinct rounds. Um, we discuss them in unity as a Series A, but um, you know, Series A is not really the regulatory term. That's that's sort of an industry term. When we think about a fundraise, we think of it in terms of what regulation it attaches to. So that's the standard institutional round is under what's called Regulation D, Section 506B. This is the technical stuff, but most companies will do their standard Series A under that particular regulation. We did our Series A under that regulation and then two different ones, one of them being regulation crowdfunding, which is a distinct regulation. So getting a little wonky there, but. And that's like when you talked about having a broader Series A, because you can do what's called the extension, right? Where you're, you're extending it to, uh, you're, you're extending the amount of money that you're raising at a certain market cap, and that gets to be interesting in itself. It does. So for, if, if you're thinking of recommending, you've got recommendations as far as raise institutional over crowdfunding uh, from a process standpoint, like sequentially, that's the way you would recommend. Are there other learnings or takeaways um, that you have for young companies when they're thinking about raising money or, or just going through this process. Cause it, and it's hard to like sure. the markets are always changing where sometimes they're really frothy. And then even now, like we're recording October, 2022. So about a year after we ran this crowdfunding campaign, um, not even a year. I mean, it's, what is it? It's eight months after we, uh, after we actually like closed and if, and we did the, ex the extension, after that and so it's like it's sort of ongoing it, it really is ongoing but if you're thinking about um how the markets are always changing any other takeaways or lessons learned that you have for young founders young companies when they're they're trying to get traction like everybody trying to find product market fit and you're always assessing like burn versus capital in and and trying to manage it all trying to decide yeah. like what to do this is this is a really complicated challenge, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, plenty of very, very smart people grapple with this question and don't always come to uh, an answer that is a perfect fit for their own companies. Uh, what, what I would say is I do think in general, founders tend to be more concerned about dilution uh, than they ought to be. And what that can result in is uh, turning down deals that may ultimately keep the company alive long enough to actually achieve whatever your company's big bet is. In other words, it really boils down to a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, ben, as you say, markets change pretty quickly. You can be in a fantastic fundraising environment today and a really poor one, you know, just a month later. Uh, and so I think most calculus for fundraising should have at its center, do we have the money that we need to grow our company? That should be the primary concern. Dilution matters. Those questions certainly should still be a part of the equation, but it is possible in this industry to cut off your own nose to spite your face. Uh, mm. and, and so some companies are in the very fortunate position of, of being able to really choose from investors and set their own terms uh, for the most part. But not, not every company is in that position and being very realistic about what your fundraising uh, options are and ensuring that you do whatever you have to do to keep your company going in the direction you want it to go. Um, even if that might mean taking on more dilution than you want, um, I would say that's a core 
mm-hmm. components. Uh, ben, if you don't mind, just to touch on using crowdfunding in particular, I, I, I want to flag one uh, one really important thing about crowdfunding, especially if you're considering using it as your only source uh, of funding. Um, to take a step back, there there is a reason why the Securities and Exchange Commission has been pretty careful about opening up crowdfunding and why they have this distinction between uh, everyday folks and what are called accredited investors. Um, you know, in companies, we often think about regulators as as just difficult, right? Because there's so many rules and hoops to jump through. But a, 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 an agency like the SEC, what they, they they ultimately are tasked with is protecting people, and it is possible. Uh, and and you you can see this if you if you search the internet and see what crowd funds are going on. It is possible for companies to um, open up crowd funds, and maybe they really ought not to be taking money from individual investors because their idea isn't quite baked enough, or maybe if they're honest with themselves, their trajectory isn't great. And regulation crowdfunding is quite risky for, you know, investing in general is risky. And inherently, if you're only, if, if as a person, your only access to investing in a private company is through crowdfunding, you are taking a risk and maybe you're not a financial expert like the venture capital firms are. So um, I would just point out that if your company is in a position of relying upon crowdfunding as your sole source of revenue, just be mindful of the um, the ethics of asking everyday folks who are not financial experts uh, for your money. It it's it's a it's a much different thing when you know your books and you know your trajectory and you have uh, venture capital firms who believe in you as well and your crowdfunding investors can look to those entities as a signal that this company you know, has backing, has has an idea that really can turn into a great product. Uh, but there's a lot of room for exploitation in the context of raising money from, you know, everyday people who might make 50 or $60,000 and are wanting to give you a thousand of that. So uh, crowdfunding is amazing as an opportunity to help people invest. But there are some ethical questions around using it. And so I would just encourage companies to be, just be thoughtful about that. And remember that we, we might be talking about your mom investing in a company, my, my mom, my dad, someone like that, who maybe doesn't have the expertise, but is excited about a product. So I think we have a responsibility when we use something like crowdfunding. And to do you proud as head of council, might as well double down on this. This is not investment advice. This is just our opinion and uh, us sharing our experience. So it's always good to caveat all of this that um, it's it's really important that when people want to raise money, when people want to ask for money from others, that they're doing it very much on their own terms and they're doing their, their own homework when it comes to it. But you, you said it perfectly. It's if you're going to, whether you are asking um, for crowdfunding, whether you're asking institutional investors, there is a responsibility to make sure that if you are asking for money, friends and family rounds, especially that are way outside the institutional, they're way outside of this idea of crowdfunding where there is some diligence process. You right. have to be sure that you have a sound business. We all have to take swings and that is very important, but make sure that we're when people are thinking about taking a swing with a startup that you have a sound business model and some idea in place of how you're going to get from A to B. Otherwise, it's it's startups are inherently hard. A lot of them fail. Any of them can fail at any time. And even when you, the more money you raise, it doesn't mean that you become uh, indestructible. It's That's actually right. 
a lot riskier. You raise more capital, there's more on the line and there's, uh, you've got a lot of consideration around that. So those are all, so some of the things that we think about, we've got um, an immense responsibility to our institutional investors and to our crowdfunding investors to show up every day, to perform, to make sure that we're making an impact with what we're doing and to be as honest and transparent as we can with all information to say, here is what we're seeing and we want you to see this too because you've given us money and like there's nothing to hide. This is this is what's actually happening. It's very important, right? If you're gonna fail ever with a company, it shouldn't be a secret. It should be something that anybody who's put money into the company has that same visibility. And we feel that responsibility every day with what we're doing.